Yeah. All right, it is what it is. You can hear me as you hear. Um, started losing my voice yesterday. And uh, hung out with the Mosers yesterday. Hey, it's starting to get better just after one sip of this tea. And um, I'm glad that you can see me on the video. That's actually kind of probably make the experience better. I would hate to just hear my voice. Yeah, I would hate to hear it too, yeah. But I think really, I really think that this is going to make it better because it's already feeling better. And I think the more that I warm up, it'll be better. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm always optimistic no matter what. I'd be a good Navy SEAL because it's like you got a thousand enemies around you. I'm like, guys, we got a chance. <laughs> Danny, we got a chance. I think we can yeah, take him. Yeah. And you've we'll been see. listening to Jocko? We'll no. see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Just my luck, though. Not that I believe in luck. Right around. Right at the time that we're ready to take this podcast, you hear what I'm at. So, um, welcome to the classic cast. Uh, this is D2 and CD back at you. What do you say? Live and direct. Oh gosh, just stop it. Recorded in, (laughs) recorded in direct, (laughs) continuing on with Lex Rex. We're almost done, brother. Three episodes left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I'll just be honest. I feel like our listenership has declined the further we've gotten Lex Rex. It's actually false. It's increased. Well, no, it's staying the same. Oh, it's just the same? Yeah. Oh, well, then, hey. In fact, we're getting the number of episodes, the number of views that we're getting quicker. All right. Day one is a bigger day. All right. Um, Now, it is for the... For the more intellectual crowd? Well, I think in general, since we're reading through books, uh, depending on the book, you know, the, the book is really going to depend on... So we're not going to keep the same listeners, I think, from book to book. It's really going to depend... You know, some people are going to tune in for Pilgrim's Progress. Probably a different kind of person is going to tune in for Lex Rex. But I bring it up not to, you know... We're not numbers guys. We don't care about how many people listen, how many people don't. Um, uh, we're thankful for you who are listening. We're thankful for every single one of our listeners, your support. Um, we get messages from you throughout the week. And so we're appreciative of that. Um, uh, yeah, so, so thank you. Uh, I was mainly bringing it up to try to make, a, make an excuse that way instead of this way, but I mean, this is good, but I'm ready to be done with Lex Rex, just to be honest with you. I get that feeling with a lot of books. <laughs> oh, this is <clears throat> the classic cast episode number 38. Number 38, the puberty episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get better as the episode goes by. Um, All of my infirmities hit me early in the morning so yeah that yeah yeah it's always worse in the morning and at night when you're yeah. losing your voice it's a it's a real <clears throat> bad thing for you that seemingly our only options for doing this podcast are early in the morning <laughs> or late at yeah, night either yeah. one either one Nothing you would have been either one you would have been messed up <laughs> hey i went back and listened to uh the episode that just came out it is wild. The uh, the first one we the first one record we recorded at at night. 
Yeah, on the way here. I mean, it's early, but on the way here, I was already like, yeah, this is, this is much better. Yeah. This is, this yeah. is much better. It made for good. Like, I was laughing. <coughs> I was laughing pretty hard, but yeah. It makes it better that we can drink coffee, we can drink our caffeine, whatever it is. We're ready for the day. So, whereas at nighttime, you're yeah. winding down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey, uh, random topic. I know we you don't have much voice, and I know that we have way too much to cover for, for what we're wanting to cover today. But do y'all do y'all drink greens? Do either one of you drink greens? All right, I'm good then. Never mind. Why? I'm just wondering. I'm, th- I think I'm about. I'm thinking about getting into greens. Ariel was asking about. Ariel's wanting to try some. Um, and so I was just going to ask what greens y'all used. But what is that? It's like uh, a lot of people drinking in the morning. It's like uh, different different ones have different ingredients in it. But basically, it's supposed to be like your daily serving of fruits and vegetables in a morning drink rather than having to eat that throughout the day. Oh, I got you. Not saying that you should not eat vegetables because you're drinking this, but, right, you know, that's what it is. Well, never mind then. Wow. I mean, you're just trying to hear good brands uh, or something? No. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you were talking about morning beverages. Um, anyway, something... I didn't know if that y'all that was one of your morning beverages. So, so let me start with uh, Lex Rex. <clears throat> Let's just jump right into it. Let's go. Page four hundred seven says this. We're we're covering uh, questions thirty one through thirty six. Thirty five. Thirty five. Thirty one yeah. through thirty five. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and if we can make it through this, maybe a longer episode, we can have a second episode. Right, right. Um, that will cover like 32 through 35 if we need to. All right. Jump in. All right, I so. I won't, I won't <clears throat> interrupt anymore. No, inter- please interrupt whenever you want to. Whether self-defense by opposing violence to unjust violence by lawful, by the law of God and nature. So to get right into this, there were some rabbit holes for us to chase down. Yeah. In this chapter. And boy, did I chase the rabbit um, as much as I could. And um, with the time that I had, I chased the rabbit. See, my voice is still getting better the more that I drink this stuff. So just hang in there. I'm glad it sounds like that. To me. To you. Yeah, I'm glad it sounds like that to you. No, it is, it is getting a bit better. I'm jugging this stuff. Yeah, it is getting a bit better. Yeah. So he says this on page 407. He says, now the unjust invasion made on Scotland in 1640. Okay, so he's starting to explain historical facts and yeah. dates right there. Yeah, one of our listeners has asked us to get into the history of it this this week, uh, paint more of the historical context it was perfect timing because Rutherford starts, uh, this is really the first time that, I mean, we know who he's arguing with. We know who he's responding to in the book. Um, but now he's starting to talk about um, actual political context. And so it was a perfect week for, it was a perfect week for it. 
So what happened? What? <clears throat> did uh, you do any of the research? Yes, I did. Yeah. That's one of those live past questions. One of those. That was one of those. We're always in the thing together. Come on, brother. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I'm going to start this. I want you to jump in. Yeah. To fill the gaps. There's a ton of gaps to fill in for the historical context that we're not going to be able to. We're not going to be able to, even if we did know all, know it all. Yeah. Um, There's going to be some stuff that I personally intentionally fly over. But yeah, yeah. when you see blanks that need to be filled in, yeah. fill them in as I yeah, go. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry about interrupting me or anything. Just it'd be better for the listener that way. So I'm reading this, and I instantly say right after I'm reading that message that you and I both were in, one of our yeah. deep listening, deep thinking listeners said, I need you to do the historical context for these reasons. Right after I read that, I read this. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. So, um, let's range all the way back to like the bloody period. I'm not going to do a lot about this f- very first part. You you have England, which you have. If we we're to have a map, you have Scotland here. No, you have England here, and you have Scotland bordering England. Yeah, and I believe that'd be the British Isles. You have Wales connected in that deep down south. Um, a few other little countries and stuff, mainly Scotland and England, about the same size. Well, 1553 to 1558, you have Bloody Mary, mm-hmm. which kind of, in an ironic sense, reigns in the Puritan period. Right. Shortly after the Reformation. Because she was hardcore Catholic, um, uh, right? Yes. Yeah, hardcore Catholic, persecuted <clears throat> Protestants, that's... Uh, where she gets her name, Bloody Mary. Yes. Um, there's a great sermon audio you can listen to on that. John Owen episode one by Brian Borgman. He gets into all that stuff. Hey, shout out to shout out to Pastor Brian Borgman. Yeah. Uh, he's the man. That's not the immediate context of what is going on here. So let's start with the immediate context, which... You bring you bring that it lays, up, yes. You bring it up because part of um, um, well, the closer immediate context we're start we're talking about the Stuart Kings. <clears throat> this starts with King James the First, who is a how's uh, he's like a uh, is he Mary's son? Is he one of Mary's sons or her sister? Uh, there's some well, I forget the connection there. There's a lineage there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to bring up Bloody Mary is to show the lineage in England, the context in the past that England has well, cause, with yeah, cause Protestantism. Because King, King Henry, quote, makes the country Protestant because he wants to get a divorce that the Pope isn't going to recognize. Um, and his lineage is now Queen Mary, who wants to bring the country back to uh, be a a Catholic nation instead of Protestant. So now all of a sudden you have a Catholic queen of a mainly Protestant nation. Uh, it's a recipe for disaster. So, And so what Rutherford and then the English Puritans have to look back on 60, 70, 80 years earlier is things like Bloody Mary. Yeah. Constant rifts between Protestantism and Catholicism. Yeah, like it took like a... Tug of war battle. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you already have this war between Protestantism and Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In England, well, really elsewhere, a lot of other places, um, I think in Switzerland, not directly on the the British Isles like England and stuff, you have the Thirty Years' War. Mm-hmm. Okay, another um, religious battle. Well, what you have going on here, Rutherford's immediate context for sure, are the Stuart kings. So you have James I. He's referred to as James VI in Scotland. Mm-hmm. I, um, that's another rabbit trail that I didn't want to chase down for this podcast. Charles I is the son of James I. Right. He comes in and he starts his reign in 1625. And he's king... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but Charles I is king when this book is written. Yes. Okay. So it wasn't important to list this in earlier episodes. Right. But when we're reading we could, about... We, we could have. We yeah. could have. Yeah, yeah, But it wasn't exactly relevant. Okay, we're getting to it. You know, um, we don't really like to necessarily take a full episode to give primers and stuff. We could have, and then would have made things better. We like We like to make sense of the book... Right. We're, I mean, with this book, with Pilgrim's Progress, I had read it before. With this book, we're literally reading it and then doing episodes on it. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're learning as we go. Kind of like what the reader would do. Exactly. When they're buying exactly. this book and reading it. So, 1625, Charles I comes in. And um, he says, you know what? My daddy wanted everything to be, you know pretty Anglican, not that they used the term at the time, they didn't. He said, my daddy wants everything to be Church of Englandish, Protestant. Protestant. So he looks and he says, there's that country up there that's awfully Protestant. No, Church of England, not Protestant. Opposite of Protestant. So he sees Scotland and he says, well, they're not doing what I want them to do. And they're not doing what my dad wanted them to do. So I'm just going to start making them do what I want them to do. Yeah. Let's start making Scotland look more Church of Englandish. Right, right, Anglican. right, right. Well, before that, we look at Charles I and we see Charles I was um, kind of a, maybe we could say a control freak to begin with, to a point to where he has rifts with uh, Parliament in England before the whole Protestant yeah, yeah. issue. Well, his dad, uh, James the first did as well. And it's because this is intrinsic to, this is very important mm-hmm. to the book. The Stuart, uh, the Stuart Kings, uh, in particular were big on like King James, King James the first, which sets the King James, which we get the King James Bible. Uh, he was a big, uh, he was a firm believer in the divine right of Kings. He himself that put rifts between him and he and Parliament. That's something that I learned in my research is that Parliament was really uh, was a check to that. They they Parliament didn't see the king as having as much authority as King James saw himself as having. So there was constant rift there. So the Stuart kings, from what I understand, I mean at least King James one and Charles uh, Charles one, um, is that. Parliament and part of checking their authority or checking their, uh, you know, their view of themselves as having divine right as king would restrict funds. 
And so James one, they would they wouldn't approve funding. And so you know, I learned a, a more. Now I wouldn't say a lot, but more about the kind of uh, par- parliamentary system there and how that operated. So they would restrict funds uh, where okay, the king may want to do this, but we're just not gonna free up money for him to be able to for him to be able to do this. So they would kind of tie tie their hands. Uh, and so, um, for instance, I think James one was trying to build a house for, uh, for, uh, I forget which wife, but, uh, um, parliament restricted some funding for the, for the house. Cause he was trying to make it basically, you know, uh, all out, no budget type house. Well, they restricted funds. So then the, <laughs> so then James one basically invented some sort of tax, uh, and, you know, to help fund, you know, that endeavor and others, uh, Charles one, same thing because of his belief in the divine right of Kings, uh, there was restricted, you know, there's restricted funding there. Another key detail here at this point is, uh, Charles James, uh, James wanted Charles to marry the princess of Spain, uh, to try to build, uh, an ally there. Uh, but England at the time uh, didn't like Spaniards and they didn't like Catholics. And she was a Catholic Spaniard. <laughs> she was a Catholic Spaniard. <laughs> and so uh, Charles makes a trip. This is a rabbit hole, but Charles makes a trip, gets rejected uh, by not only the princess, um, but also uh, basically just Spain in general, the their their government in general it's like yeah we don't uh yeah basically yeah there's no way we're uh there's no way she's marrying this guy so that sticks with him that sticks with him so when he becomes king basically he starts a war with spain and that's you know that's kind of who we're dealing with here what time period was that um i don't know Reason I ask is because he ends up marrying a Roman Catholic. Yeah, so, uh, that's soon after he gets rejected uh, because he. <laughs> what a way to come back! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I declare but, war. Yeah, but <laughs> but she he marries a Catholic, which isn't okay. There's history of that in England, so that can be tolerated. But she was from France. She was the the daughter of the King of France, and that was much more acceptable than marrying a Spaniard uh, in the public, just in the public eye and, and uh, in the opinion of many in Parliament. Um, but once he marries her, there seems to be, you know, people were upset, like she didn't take part. She didn't, do, there wasn't a coronation for her as queen. She didn't take part in that because it wasn't going to be overseen by, yeah, good. Okay, it wasn't going to be overseen by, <laughs> A, a Catholic, uh, Catholic, a Catholic priest, or or whatever, it was going to be an Anglican uh, bishop overseeing the coronation. She was like, "No, I'm not taking part in that." So she was very proud and outwardly Catholic, um, which just wasn't a good PR move at the time. And on top of that. Charles is saying, look, I'm not trying to be Roman Catholic, but 
everybody's looking at his Everybody, wife and like, yeah, yeah, brother, yeah. how are you not trying to be Roman Catholic? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're married to, and her name is Henrietta Maria. Google her. Yeah. Roman Catholic, yeah, Roman Catholic yeah. lineage, Roman Catholic country, all that. So from the beginning, there's trust issues with his religious standing. Especially when she starts cramming down uh, certain uh, things <clears throat> for the church, especially in Scotland. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. You know, something doesn't smell right about here. So, 1625, he takes office. He inherits those issues you just talked about. He inherits, well, he makes those issues worse because he has a spending issue. He likes art. He likes to buy a bunch of stuff. And he's running out of money. And he's looking for ways to earn money that Parliament does not like. nothing, Nothing changes, man. These guys were not fiscally smart. No. It's like you look at our government today. I'm just like, well, how, what makes them think they can spend all this money? And then I'm reading this, and I'm just like, no, nope, nothing different. <laughs> and it made me, it made me think. It was like, oh, king of Egypt, let's build three temples. <laughs> let's build three temples. I'm sure we can afford it. <laughs> it runs in the office, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so he makes things worse, which that's going to lead to the English Civil War. Yeah. Really, after what we're talking about here. Yeah. But 1625 to 1629, he dissolves Parliament four times. Mm. So it was like, "Eh, I don't need you anyways. Eh, I need you for a little bit. Eh, I'm divine. Divine right of the king. I don't really need. So he views Parliament, in in this case, with Lex Rex, he views the lesser magistrates as not having the same essence yeah. as him. They're not yeah, as yeah. important, in, in, no, as, no as, important one, as me. Yeah, no intrinsic authority. They're just extensions of my own authority. Yes. Yeah. So 1629 comes around, and um, he dissolves them for good for 11 years. So we're talking. That's wild. For That's a, wild. We couldn't imagine yeah. being out without a Congress yeah. or without a Supreme Court for 11 yeah, years. Yeah. Um, we t- when we talk about well, there's gov- no mechanism in our government for that to even happen. happen at all. I mean, they did a TV show about everybody getting blown up. That's about it. I mean, uh, I forget what the show's called. Um, but everybody, um, get, White House everybody gets designated White House survivor. Uh, that's it. It had yeah. Kevin Sutherland in it. Um, I'm <laughs> yeah, everybody get the president, Congress. Uh, what is it like a State of the Union or something? Yeah, they all get in this. Basically, the it's a terrorist yeah. attack on the Capitol during the State of the Union. So basically, everyone it. there, basically the government disappears, or the not the government, but uh, those serving in government, federal government disappears, basically overnight. <laughs> crazy story. So crazy show. The dissolving of Parliament in sixteen twenty nine has some historians saying this. That the crisis in England between 1629 and 1660, so 31 years, quote, originated in Charles' belief that by the royal prerogative, he could govern without the advice and the consent of Parliament. Yeah. That's quoted by historians. So because he believes that he's divine, he also believes Parliament is not. Rutherford's already debunked that. That the lesser magistrates are the yeah. same in essence, and really, it makes so much sense why Rutherford Ar- Rutherford's arguments make so much more sense. Now. Yes, so all of his extensive arguments for the lesser judges and the power they have, the same essence they have, is going against Charles the First, which historians, secular historians, 
pin the crisis in England on Charles the First right. belief of right. divine right. Um, well, which, and you know, spoiler alert. <clears throat> Uh, he ends up getting beheaded. So, well, and I'm going to bring up a quote for <laughs> that too. Okay. So, <laughs> spoiler alert: it doesn't go well for him. What uh, What is he, going? He's definitely seen as a tyrant. Uh, you know, by the end of things. Yeah. So, what happens in that eight, eleven year dead period where he's reigning by himself? Well, 1636 and 1637 come around, and he starts to look up at Scotland. Scotland is like. We would look at as the building south. the <laughs> south and really building this theological dynasty. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I, I'm slow to say this, but uh, just hear me out hyperbolically. Building a theological golden age, in a sense. Um, well, until the Baptist. Well, and then it gets like <laughs> above gold, which is platinum. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um. He looks up at them, and he says, you know what? He says, I have power over them. So he's king of England, but he also has, has power over the king of Ireland. He's king of Ireland yeah. and king of Scotland. He says, they're not following. Uh, yeah, Because just, just real quick, Simon, I think James 1 unified the crown uh, where, okay, now you have one monarch. I don't, I don't remember how it happened, but uh, oh. king of England – King of Scotland, King of Ireland. Okay, there's a, unifi- there's a unified crown now. Another proof that centralization is not the solution. Uh, it ended up working out for Great Britain, but yeah. not, not right now. <laughs> he looks up at Scotland in 1637 when there's no parliament, and he says, I'm going to impose my will on them just to let them know there's a bunch of Presbyterians yeah. up there. I'm going to put the prayer book in. Yep. Common Which, book of prayer. It was a edited common book of prayer. Yeah, yeah. but I'm gonna start doing that. Yeah. So and see, let's remember that Rutherford is Scottish. Yes. Yeah. Rutherford lit. He's a Scottish person. Yeah. Which so he's taking more issue with this. That's, yeah, yeah. He's living in that. He sees that. Yeah. Um. And, which, and the Scots were much more committed to Protestantism than. Than England ever was. 1637 comes. He designs this slow plan. It wasn't like overnight. All right, Monday, they're going to start doing this. Slow plan. At first, it's Easter of 1637. He's going to implement it. But they're already checking the polls and already seeing Scotland isn't, they're not going to like this. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. And if you've ever seen Braveheart, those boys can fight. If you've ever seen Braveheart, those yeah, boys can fight. Yeah, don't underestimate men in kilts. They are no. descended from William Wallace. Not that I endorse that movie. Yeah. But, okay, I, so. I endorse the movie. A few months, it takes a few months for this to happen. And it's really under the power and, um, like, direct oversight of William Laud. Check in William Laud. The Puritans hated him. What was the phrase they said? Um, Give great praise to the Almighty and give little Laud to the devil. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a play on words because Laud means praise. And Laud was short. Yeah. Give give little Laud to the devil. (laughs) That's what the Puritans would say. They say give great praise to the Almighty and little Laud to the devil. Yeah, yeah. So That's hilarious. William Laud comes in like the uh, the bad guy, 
um, who's going to see to it. The Scotland is doing what the hey, almighty they're gonna, they're, well, well, I'm going to get them in line. So little did he, does he know he, he sends bishops. He, Laud goes back to England. So we got these bishops in charge of making sure that um, the Scottish people are going to fall in line with this. The first service that they have, that is the first imposition of the king to enforce these things is at St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh. And at St. Giles in Edinburgh is where we have the cover of the book Lex Rex. This, oh, this is where it comes in. The cover of Lex Rex is actually a lady by the name of Jane Gaddis. Shortly in the service, she stands up. She's essentially saying, what is this? Picks up a a stool stool. and throws it at the pulpit. (laughs) I am not having this. We have people in in the crowd seeing that. They're like standing up, getting infuriated. We have people on the outside of the cathedral throwing rocks at the cathedral. And we have the bishops having to escape. And some historians say, they feared they were going to be ripped apart by the Scottish people yeah. because of the tyranny of the king to do such a thing. Now, there's a few other things they tried to impose in that service, but we stop and we ask the question, would we do the same thing? Is Protestantism, is the Reformed faith worth standing up for? Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, it's hard. Uh, there's it's hard a rabbit to say. trail. Yeah, but man, would our culture be as willing to stand up for what they believed were were the true doctrines of of God? And and oh no, not no. at all. No, no, no. If you're just thinking broadly culturally, no, we're so worried about being winsome. I'm not going to use that word. We've worn it out. But people trying to be winsome that we'd be like Jane Gaddis, please sit down. Jane Gaddis, a lady. So to the ladies, there's a few ladies listening to this podcast. Would y'all stand up for the doctrines that we believe in the way that Jane Gaddis did? Throwing stools. Throwing stools. So that's, that's there's Jane Gaddis. Now, our chair, now, in our ladies' defense, our chairs are a lot more hefty than that stool was, I bet. Yeah. So... The the throwing Jane Gaddis, you said her name was yes Jane, Jane yeah Jenny Jane, Gaddis Jane Gaddis really she she's been hitting the gym I'll tell you that yeah the stool heard around the world <laughs> <laughs> she's been hitting the gym she's been she's been doing her uh, her New Year New You so the <laughs> you're so silly the stool throw heard around the world and you can check multiple historical sources they all have the stool throw. They might not have oh, her yeah, name, yeah, yeah. but her name is recorded in this. Well, no, the stool what? throw happened. <clears throat> and the St. Giles Cathedral sparked the official resistance against the king. Yeah. We declare resistance against the king. And there's a few assemblies. The Glasgow Assembly. Mm-hmm. Uh, one historian says the Glasgow Assembly around that time where these Protestants come together showed that this was more than just a protest. This is more than just a Facebook post. This is more than just a stool throw. This is all out political. This is political resistance to the king. 
So they come up. Now, this is where I get fired up. You're not already fired up? No, no, no. You, I'm taking it to the fourth gear yeah. right here. Well, so my voice is starting to get a little bit better, and I'm taking it to the fourth gear right let's here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's blow we it out. have the Scottish National Covenant. Yeah. In February the 28th, uh, I was about to say 19, 1638. We, sh- we should have recorded this on the 28th, February 28th. <laughs> well, it's actually might release the 28th. Um. <clears throat> Trend fact check that. Please fact check him. By the way, you can Google all the stuff that I'm doing now if you want to read any good quotes. Um, go ahead. If I'm right, this will release. It's either going to release on the 18th or the 25th. Uh, that's all right. Not Close worth enough. it. Scottish enough. National Covenant. Let's keep that word covenant in mind, which he's already defined what a covenant is politically. Yeah. He so when Rutherford is writing about covenant, he has okay, six years later is the great Scottish six years earlier right. is the great Scottish National Covenant. Here in this covenant, the Scottish Reformed, the Scottish Presbyterians were coming together and they said a few key things. Number one, no matter what, true religion needs to be protected. Yeah. And they 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 use parliament as proof. Look. Guys, in the past, Parliament has established that this is the true religion of the land. Uh, for let's let's get this out here too. Let's be um, upfront and honest. They view the Reformed faith as true religion. What right. do they mean by true religion? The doctrines of grace, the the ecclesiology of the reform, what the reformers a hundred years earlier had already laid down. Mm-hmm. So they say, no matter what. We are going to defend true religion, and we we are saying the king must defend true religion. Well, let's be more specific about that. Uh, we're not going to be wishy-washy, back-and-forth, Protestant, Catholic, or Catholic influence anymore. Yes. We're done with this. We're done with this. There is no back-and-forth, yeah. and... Just a few years later, they're going to give a full orb definition of true religion, Westminster Confession. Right. I think it's a great confession. Of mm-hmm. course, that we differ here and there, but we would we would. Well, there's a reason <clears throat> why the Baptist used it in uh, yes. sixteen originally in 1677. We have a great unity of the faith with yeah. the Presbyterians. Yeah. Great confession. Um. So they say, and, but to show their their um, good heart. They said, we want to express loyalty to the king. They said, in this covenant, Scottish National Covenant, we're not anarchists. Right. We love the king. We love the office of the king. We love that lineage. We, but here's the thing. They're saying it's, it's this particular king who is the anarchist. Well, That's but the- <laughs> even still, they want to uphold honor to him. Yeah. But they yeah. said, we want to be clear even more. If the king crosses that line and goes against true religion, uh, basically in layman's terms, we'll fight to the death. Yeah, we will die yeah. for true religion. Yeah. Well, guess what? The king is not going to defend true religion for them. In fact, he's going to impose what they and what um, Rutherford calls popish activity. That's which is a slight to them because in in um. 
Charles I defense, I'm not trying to impose any Roman Catholicism stuff, but I think that Henrietta is pretty cute. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, really, and I'm not uh, reformers or not reformers, Scottish Presbyterians are saying that this Anglicanism, this Church of yeah. England stuff, we consider that Roman Catholic Catholic stuff. Which let me just read here. Let me go back. That's exactly, to, that's exactly right. We consider this uh, Romish or Popish, as yeah. we've read in Lex Rex. This is a this is a whole time. This yeah. is a what original source. This is not secondary source. Original source of how they the Scottish Presbyterians felt yeah. about the king. Um, now, the unjust invasion made on Scotland in 1640-407 for refusing the service book, or rather idolatry of the mass by it intended, was unavoidable. Um, and then he says later on, on page 417, um, <laughs> he says, the king has aimed at the destruction of his subjects. There's Charles I which I'm going to explain that destruction right after the explanation of this covenant. So let me pause there. Going back to the Scottish National Covenant of 1638. Here's the things we want. Here's the things we're going to stand by. Here's an official document to express our love for the king, but our willingness to fight for the reformed faith, yeah. the true religion. Um, and uh, one person says this, the signature of this Scottish National Covenant was not rebellion wasn't they didn't consider rebellion against the king, but an appeal to the law of the land against tyranny of the yeah. king. So yeah. this is not their rebellion against the king, but an appeal to say we'll just defend ourselves against any tyranny right. of the king. Right. Um, and then we have the Glasgow Assembly, which as I mentioned earlier, shows that this is going from just mere protest to all out resistance right. if need be. Right. Guess in the uh, let's just let me just interject this real real quick in the specific purposes of question thirty one uh, on the basis of in this in this question on the specific basis of self defense on the specific basis of self defense that even uh, uh, organized resistance uh, can be on that basis as well that it's yes. not just that it's not just a uh, a personal thing like you and I would defend each other in a parking lot or against, well, you can personally defend yourself against tyranny, but you can't organize yourself selves against tyranny. He's just like, no, it's on the same basis. We can organize ourselves, uh, uh, to resist against tyranny. Uh, pick, picking up on your quote that you just read, just to put, you know, just to sharpen the, context sharpen the argument here that he's making in this particular uh, chapter or question that uh, that resistance uh, was unavoidable in Scotland because it was impossible for the Protestants, their old and sick, their women and suckling children to flee overseas or have uh, or have shipping between the kings bringing an army on them at Dunsey Law. Uh, and the prelates charging of the ministers to receive the mass book. So he was like, look, we didn't have any other options. There were, it wasn't just uh, we got upset about something and now we're just rioting and chaos and anarchists and things like that. It was just like, um, you, you know, because the natural 
kind of the natural way you would defend yourself. Like, let's say somebody tries to mug you at Walmart, you have opportunity to run away, you run away. Uh, but if you don't have that opportunity, if that's not a viable uh, way for you to protect yourself, you can't run for some reason or another, there's nowhere mm. to flee to, uh, okay, you can can and should use violence to protect yourself. And right. he's saying, look, they they invaded. <coughs> uh, we're back and we're backed and backed into a corner here. Uh, that's why it was uh, impossible for anything else to happen. You were going to have uh, resistance in Scotland. Yeah. Yes. So Scottish National Covenant. Yeah. Guess where we get the people called Scottish Covenanters from. Right there. Right there. Yeah. So you see those beautiful two-volume set from Banner of Truth. I'm not advertising it because I want to get it before you buy it, listener. And it's out of stock for Banner of Truth. has been for a while. They'll bring it back. Which, by the way, the Dixons come from Scotland. These are my the, people. The, the Thursbys come from England. So we, we'd be fighting each other, brother. We'd Actually, be, you might be at, your parliament. Your parliament side. We'd be at... Uh, yeah, I mean, Your I don't parliament. know. I don't know what my family did back in the day. <laughs> you can pretend. My grandmother always said that my great <clears throat> grandfather, great great grandfather, one uh, was kicked out of England for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I can never, I can never <laughs> confirm that, but that's so, how we. That's how she says that that side of the family ended up in the states because they were running from the law. Yeah. Keep, for those who have never heard of Scottish Covenanters, keep that name in mind. We're going to come back to that. Because in the 1660s, they are really at the national headlines for a bad reason. Things happen yeah. to them. Yeah. Scottish yeah. Covenanters build this army. So it's not just like this group of theological. It's not like G3 of Scotland. But it's like G3 who's packing it's like the IRS. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if you pay attention around there, you... <laughs> it's like the IRS of Scotland. They're, they all got arms, brother. Uh, I think if you looked around G3, you would see... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're ready to go pay, to war. Yeah, if you paid attention. <laughs> no, no, no. Nothing like that. We don't want G3 to get any... Uh, don't out uh, cri- Don't out Don't criticism. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a Reformed Baptist NRA or anything like that, but there's there's... If you pay attention, people are packing there. Virgil, I know you. I know you keep that thing on you. Virgil, like y'all hang out. <laughs> I have so much respect for him, Doctor Walker. Um, like y'all are chilling. Yeah. <laughs> no, if we were together chilling late night, <laughs> that'd be a fun conversation. I just hope your voice would be in better shape. Yeah, yeah. it would be. Or so, anyways, would be embarrassing. Scottish Covenanters they form this official group. That's like, look, when it comes time for defense, these are the people who are going to be defending yeah. this, the Scottish Covenanters. Yeah. The, well, what I, uh, he's not quoting this in direct defense, but I got re-fired up uh, remembering the biblical story where the priest take up arms against Uzziah uh, in, in the Old Testament. I'm just like, okay, this is legit. Yes, yeah. where we have um, the priest carrying the swords, if yep. you will. Yeah. The priest carrying the guns here. Yeah. It's like modern day Levites guarding worship. Right. If we were to spin off for a biblical reference. So, but they form this covenant and it's like, okay, but if, if things 
go, you know, bad, we're going to fight over this. You think Charles I said, I'm going to respect that. Charles I says, I'm puffing my chest out. Oh, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge to his authority, his divine right. Here we have the two bishops wars. 1639, 1640. Protestants versus the king. If we were to speak what how Rutherford which, would call which it. Which ironically is t- is on paper Protestant. Yeah. Yeah. If if we were to call it what Rutherford would call it, the Protestant versus the Pope. Mm-hmm. I mean, the king is not going to say that, but Rutherford, the the papist versus that's the, the way that That's the way that they the Scots it. were viewing that's it. That's how yeah. they view it. Yeah. So let's don't be anachronistic and just overlooked how they saw things. They're right. living through this. Right. Well, there's two wars between Scotland and England. Yeah. Which leads to ultimately the the third war, which is the Battle of Newburn. And just to give you a power a, a, a side of the power of the Scottish Covenanters, Charles I is running out of money, which by the way, here's another example of how bad he, and how immoral Because he can't fund uh he was already at well, he had he was a, he started a second war, I think. Um, uh, I don't, I'm not remembering. There was the Thirty Years' War going on. Then I think he picked a fight with the with Spain uh, and tried to get the Dutch involved, and that was a huge mess. And so he was like already financially strapped on the battle front or on yeah. the war front mm. before any of this. Right. Yes. So. To show the power of the Scottish Covenanters, um, he is not very successful against the Covenanters in these wars. There's a peace between them. I believe it's called the Pacification of Brunswick. Um, Oh, I remember this. So then we have the final battle where he employs a general of, of sorts to... Form, uh, form an army and go against the Scottish. Yeah. Really defend against them and bolster a certain city that um, he was going to defend against the Scottish. Well, here's to show you another immoral tactic of, of Charles to raise money. Wait, the, the Scottish are trying to uh, defend a city against no. Charles? No. Or Charles, Charles is trying to defend a city against the Scottish? The Scottish. Because it's not like an invasion. Right. They're border. They're, they're, it, they're twin brothers. Yeah. So it's like when the Scots come over to England, it's not much of a thing. And Rutherford calls it an invasion because of how the king went into Scotland. But if he chooses to send people into Scotland, it's not like it's a big invasion. He, yeah. It's not a, uh, um, um, a dramatic crossing of the borders. But... One way that Charles is trying to raise money as he is just bleeding out money yeah. for his army, which really um, bid him for the Battle of Newburn in, in both bishops' wars, he says— and there's not a parliament at this point to right. approve or restrict funds. Until 1640, and the reason that they come back together, because Charles says, look, guys, I'm running out of money. Let's raise some money. I'm depending on you guys. That's why a shorter that's parliament why, comes back. In. Okay, that makes yes. sense. That makes well, sense. Well, 
he says, I got to raise money. So I'm looking over at Scotland and there's all this land that used to be Roman Catholic land. I'm just going to say that that's my land. So uh, how are you going to say, Charles, that you're not Roman Catholic when you're looking at all this land that is ours that used to be Roman Catholic and you're declaring it yours and then selling it? No, that's not right. This is our land. It's not Roman Catholic land. It's ours. So, but that doesn't work out for him. It just makes matters worse for him and even a right. future parliament. Right, right. So, um, 1640, he he's running out of money. Scottish Covenanters are running out of people, too. It's really like last leg. We're giving the best we got. Um, the Covenanters are coming into England. Charles says, okay, they have to pass through this city. I forgot the name of the city. If he was in here, you could look it up. They have to pass through the city. So um, you, my general, I need you to bolster this city. Yeah. The Scottish Covenanters are led by a guy by the name of Alexander Leslie. Alexander Leslie has his Covenanters. He says, hey, they have that city bolstered, defensed for our passage. Let's just go around it. <laughs> and so they pass the city and they come go in. Go through the woods or whatever. Wherever. And they come into Edinburgh. They come into England. And by the way, they have a lot of support from the English, from the Protestants yeah, in England. there's sympathy there, yeah. Charles I goes, white flag. Scottish Covenant yeah, says, this. this is over. Yeah. We're done with this. And from then on, there was a lot of strife, but there was no war. Blood spilled at least for five years or so between the Scots and the English. It is in this background that we get the English Civil Wars. Mm -hmm. He's starting to come up with a shorter parliament. Things don't go well. Then there's a longer parliament, which reigns for the next few decades. And the reason why it's a long parliament is because parliament is like, look, uh, Charles is like, okay, I'm done with y'all. Dissolve, and Parliament's like, no, yeah, we're not, we're, we're not, not doing this again. We're yeah. staying around. Yeah, and so there we have the civil wars. I won't get into all those things, but one date that I'll point out is Lex Rex is written in 1644. Yeah, let me read to you how Rutherford, page 417, how Rutherford perceived the bishops' wars the Battle of um, New Bern, what he says, or how he strikes at the king. He says this on page 417. The king, that's Charles, has aimed at the destruction of his subjects through the power of wicked counselors. And we are to consider not the intention of the workers, but the nature and intention of the work. Papists are in arms. Their religion, the conspiracy of Trent, their conscience, their malice against the covenant of Scotland, that is the Scottish National Covenant of 1638, which abjures their religion to the full. Their ceremonies, their prelates lead and necessitate them to root out the name of Protestant religion, yea, and to stab a king who is a Protestant. Nor is our king remaining a Protestant and adhering to his oath made at the coronation of both kingdoms, lord of his own person, master of himself, nor able as king to be a king over Protestant subjects, if the papists, now in arms, under his standard, shall prevail. He 
Samuel Rutherford, who's no average Joe, is saying the things that the king is doing shows he is a papist. Yep. The king, he goes on, the king has been compelled to go against his own oath. We've been talking about oaths of a king. A law Co- above a king. Covenant between a king and his people, whether that, it's written yes. whether it's written and established or not. Yeah. That he has submitted to. He's going yeah. against it. And the laws which he did swear to maintain. The Pope sends to his popish armies both dispensations, bulls, mandates, and encouragements. The king has made a cessation with the bloody Irish and has put arms in the hands of papists. Now, he being under the oath of God, tied to maintain the Protestant religion, he's tied to maintain the Protestant religion, he has a metaphysically subtle, piercing faith in miracles who believes armed papists and prelates shall defend the religion of Protestants. How ironic. (laughs) And those who have abjured prelates as the lawful sons of the Pope, that the anti-Christos, as the law says. So that's how... Rutherford feels about this. So for our listeners who are wondering the historical context, Rutherford is living in a time of religious tyranny. Imagine the president of the United States saying, hey, churches, here's how you're to worship. Yep. Which our president is Roman Catholic now, so claim to be. Not to get uh, into no, that. No, no, no. Not He's fake. Not to get into It's fake news. Imagine Roman, him Roman Catholic. Imagine him saying to the governors, Hey governors, I need you to go to Grace Bible Church. Grace Bible Church, you're gonna worship like this in a few months. Imagine that. And yeah. imagine it being if you don't, we're going to war with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Charity. that's what that's why we had um, um I mean, this is a small, small form, you know, small form of it, especially in the States. But that's why you had, you know, books like this and kind of a reclamation of this thought during, uh, during COVID. Because the state was dictating um, not, not religiously how to worship, but... Um, uh, whether the church could meet for worship or not. Uh, if they were to meet for worship, how, how were they per- going to be permissible to meet for worship? Um, how many people could be there? Did they have to wear masks? Did they not have to wear masks? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so a small, you know, nothing compared to what Rutherford's dealing with or Rutherford's context here. Uh, but that's where we can draw a direct line and say, okay, what, what authority does the government have over the worship of the church? Which is why Lex Race is still relevant to us. Right. Even on smaller issues such as, uh, you know, the COVID mandates or lockdowns yeah. or whatever. That's why I've got respect for the churches in Canada, for instance, who said, no, we're not. You know, we're done with this. We're not shutting down anymore. And then you had the government actually fencing off and putting locks on their doors so that they could not meet for worship and they had to meet outside somewhere, somebody, you know, some undisclosed location or whatever. And even then, the government up there was flying drones trying to find them. 
what you know tyranny. wild wild stuff yeah that's that's tyranny and but even if you know even if we're not living in a tyrannical society that's another subject for another time even if we're not there can be acts of tyranny yeah even if rutherford was not which he was right even if he wasn't the theory still stands right the do- i would say the the doctrine the still doctrine, stands yeah it what I mean by theory is like you got in theology theory and practice. Right, 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 right. Um, Van Moster's theoretical practical divinity. The theory still stands. What he says still stands, no matter if we live under a tyrant or not, because he is dealing not with practice but theory right. here. Right. But the the context gets picture to everything that's going on. It is under this context that Lex Rex is written. Now, we hadn't gotten to the half of it, and we won't. But Charles I is beheaded, and I'll read you the quote. The Parliament, after winning the Civil War, Cromwell, man, I love that guy. I'm going to read a biography on him. Um, Been on who you listen to, apparently, is who says he's good or bad. I right. guess that's how it is right. with all history. Right. You, I was listening to Timeline. Timeline has some pretty cool... Um, uh, documentaries on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They were yeah. kind of painting the picture of a bad guy. Crom- Oliver Cromwell's this bad dude. You we can, would say he's can, a good guy. You can find those on YouTube, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lord Protector. Um, he takes over after this. Before he takes over, four years before he takes over, the court has um, um Charles in custody. They have the king in custody. They declare. This court doth adjudge that he, the said Charles Stuart, as a tyrant, traitor, murderer, and public enemy to the good of this nation, and shall be put to death by the severing of his head from his body. They declared him tyrant, and they behead him. Yeah, that's nuts. Well, guess what? Who's Charles versus son? Uh, James II? Charles II. Oh, okay. He has to flee. He's got to get out of Dodge because the Protestants take over. And here's where you can lead him, read in Philip Schaff's Volume 7 uh, what England looked like under Cromwell. I mentioned this a few episodes earlier. Yeah, yeah. The prelates are essentially kind of outlawed. So it's kind of ironic. The Protestants demand religious liberty, but when they take power... Prelates, the the Anglicans, we'd say maybe, um, and the, for sure the Roman Catholics, yeah, don't have very much liberty. Which, right or wrong, whatever, that's what it was. It's recorded under under Philip Schaff's history there. Um, I didn't get any quotes there, but that's it. So England is yeah, heavily still, Protestant. Yeah, they still didn't have it figured out for a good while on separation of church and state. Yeah, but England is. Heavily Protestant, and part of it's understandable because they see dead bodies of Protestants. Right. Dead bodies who weren't going out of their way to be rebels. These men and women were murdered because they would not submit their conscience to this. Cromwell, who is Lord Protector, says no more. And a longer, even a longer history than that, going back to Bloody Mary. Yes. So tyranny, man. Blood spilled here. Yeah. Um, Charles II, after Cromwell's death, says, you know what? 
the people are kind of tired of this Protestantism stuff, and I think it's a good time for me to come back. He comes back with... Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. Charles II, he's basically uh, in, uh, you know, like exile. Um, That's an important note, this whole... Basically, this whole time, oh, you know, they definitely don't want the son of the <laughs> son of the king around. So he's off, essentially keeping a safe distance. Yeah. yeah. So he comes back as king, and he pulls out his wallet and says, "Guess what, guys? I kept receipts. I kept fifteen-year-old receipts. I know who the bad guys are." And you got to remember this um, mission that Charles the First was on was a uh, Papal mission. My Papal was into this. My lineage says right. I'm right. imposing these things. It wasn't just a spur of the moment, though he did add his own personality. So when Charles II comes along, of course, look, my daddy wanted this. My grandfather wanted this. His grandfather wanted this. I'm not just going to drop it. And you killed my dad. Mm-hmm. And so guess who the bad guys are? Protestant. Scottish Covenanters. Right. That's why you can read the Scottish Covenanters and read of gruesome deaths, persecution, persecution yeah. for 20 years. There were three attempted rebellions, one in the 60s, one in the 70s, one in the 80s. Okay, this is the part of Scottish Covenant history that I know. Yes, yeah. they all fail brutally. And Charles II lets them have it. Mm-hmm. Terrible. I could not imagine, we couldn't, as modern-day Protestants, imagine what they went through. Now, this is after Rutherford. Right. This is after that. After. But we cannot say that the Scottish Covenant martyrdom was totally disconnected from what Lex Rex is talking about. No. It was just them on the... The next link of the chain. Yeah. And so, what we see in, which this is jam-packed, this... This century was jam-packed with theological history. Yeah. What we see in um, the time period between 1625-1689, when William of Orange comes to really liberate and really establish the tr- like a, the good foundation of religious liberty, mm-hmm. we see a lot of blood being spilled, which... A lot of turmoil, a lot of um, war of religion, identity, worldview, just unsettled. Yes. William of Orange, which we have the 1689 London Baptist Confession, and it's called the 1689 because of William of Orange. Because that's when it could be legally it, yes. public, legally published. It's actually yeah. 1677. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you can see, um, it, uh, like the conservative Baptists, like the the um, according to the law, conservative Reformed Baptists may call it 1677 slash 1689 right. London Baptist Confession. Right, right. It was written in 1677. It was published legally 1689. <clears throat> Because it was an illegal document, essentially, up until then. Which, let's think about that. Um, And I say this with respect. There would be some Christians who would have a hard time even writing the 1677 because of, um, maybe we would say, 
Rutherford would say, let's stick with Rex. Rutherford would say, misunderstanding of Romans 13. Because there are Christians that would say, no, just submit, submit, submit. Romans 13, 1. Romans 13, 1. Romans 13, 1. 1. 1. Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. Let's not even have these conventions of coming up with these standards of faith. Right. Let's wait till it's legal. Whereas our Baptist forefathers, who we say have, have it down with separation, separation of church and state, in spite of it being illegal, came together and wrote this good confession of faith. Um, when the Presbyterians wrote the Westminster, technically it was legal. Yeah, it was. Completely. Yeah. Completely. In fact, technically they had the majority on their side. It was commissioned. commissioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at, going back to episode one, Rutherford did not vote on these things, but he preached at these things. He wrote Lex Rex right before the Civil War broke out. Yeah. Which, when Civil War, War broke out, he would have been on Parliament's side. Because Scott... Which the Westminster was 1640... Google no, 16, uh, 1644-ish, I believe. I believe 1644. Uh, I, want to, I want to say it was 1646. Could be... Um, could be I know this, so our Presbyterian listeners don't don't get mad at me. It's just five AM, okay? Sixteen forty seven. I'm counting that as when. I'm could you Google could you Google where Westminster is? So man, think about it. During it the Civil West, War. It was the Westminster Assembly in um Actually I say it there, w- there's a subdivision on the west side of Conway, it's called Westminster. I think it was there. <laughs> That's it. Um, Garden of Eden's in Missouri. <laughs> Just, uh, I'm wrong. Uh, so my the historical buffs are going to say it was not technically during Civil War because there's two parts of the Civil War. It concluded in 1646. And then resumed. 1648. Yeah. Could you Google that too? The dates of the English Civil War. And again, man, theological hall of fame fighting in this war. Bunyan, pre-conversion, but still Bunyan. Yeah. I believe Thomas Watson, which... We read their writings and we think they were softies. <laughs> Far from it. Right. Far from it. Okay. Uh, English Civil War, August 22nd of 1642 to September 3rd of 1651. Yeah, but there were two parts to it. There, there Because um, it, that's like there's the a break. There's window. a break. There breaks between it. There's a break, but that's the. Yes. Span though, right? Oh, okay, yeah, I see. I would like to know why they say it's to 1650 or 51 because Charles is beheaded in 49, Cromwell takes over in 53, but unofficially, he's really the leader of the land before 1653. Okay, I got you. So it's the first English Civil War is 1642 to 1646. Yes, then, uh, I guess there's a that makes sense. Why break. then it goes to 1651? So it gave me the t- it added both of yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Why so, that makes total sense in why the Westminster Assembly happened in 1647. It's, it's, it's all you had a back. You had a <clears throat> you had a a break in the war where uh, not even Protestants but Presbyterians, you know, had. Parliament. Presbyterians had the majority in Parliament. Yeah. 
Because that was the issue when it came down to what you're talking about, William of Orange. I think there was the act of toleration or the act of, uh, I think it's called the act of toleration or religious toleration or something. Because up until that point, it was a battle within parliament. Okay, who has majority here? Is it the Presbyterians? Is it the Congregationalist? Um, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, those were your religious views were tied to one party or the other. And, um, uh, you know, Baptists were such a small minority, there was never going to be any kind of like throwing weight around there. And so the act of toleration comes into place in 1689 and basically says, look, because uh, whoever was head of parliament, that was kind of the, that was the de facto um, denomination, if you will, of the, that was the official de- denomination. And then they got away from that a little bit uh, or to some extent with the, with the act of, uh, toleration, which allowed Baptists to legally exist. Uh, so going back to Bunyan, it made it to where, okay, you didn't have to have a license to preach or to hold worship. That's the whole reason why Bunyan was put into jail where now you, you can freely meet for worship. You don't have to have a license or approval from the state to, to preach pastor or hold an assembly for worship. Um, so much yeah that definitely paints uh i mean even such simple things as okay well why does he keep calling them popish well it's not saying that it's like rome it's he's actually saying no this is this is actual roman catholic influence upon our nation and how how easy it is for us to sit back 300 years later and parse the terms oh no it wasn't romish it was technically Church of England, an, what we say is an Anglican liturgy. Right, and stuff. right, right, right. When you got the king married to Henrietta Maria, he's got the hots for a Roman Catholic. He's looking <laughs> awfully Roman Catholic. He's got friends who are Roman Catholic. Um, and yeah. he's taken land that was formerly yeah. Roman Catholic, and he feels like it's his because it was Roman Catholic. And the Pope, from what I understand, the Pope approved the marriage of... Uh, um, Maria, what's her name? Henrietta Henry, Maria. Henrietta Maria, mm. Maria, the daughter of the King of France, to Charles the First, because she committed to him. She was like, "No, I'm going to raise my children as devout Roman Catholics, and I'm going to influence the 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 king and the government, uh, in whatever you know, whatever ways I can, in whatever ways that." that I'll have ability to. And that's not even inference. That's not just inference. It's no, historical she commit, fact. Yeah, she committed that, you know, otherwise the Pope wouldn't have, grant, you know, granted, mm. uh, approved of, of the marriage, <laughs> uh, saying, you know, why are you going to marry, you know, uh, you know, yeah, you can't go marry this Protestant king. Um, but she, she was like, no, I'm going to raise my kids Catholic. I'll influence... You know, I'll, I'll influence uh, the king and the nation to the extent that I can. And the Pope was like, okay, yeah, you can marry him. I wonder Rutherford called him Jesuits. You Jesuits. Well, and 
uh, uh, and Char and Charles, I think that's ironic because Charles, I think, in his uh, kind of secret mission to Spain to try to win over uh, the the King of Spain's daughter, I think that he runs into a Jesuit um, who's just railing against England and in King James the First. Uh, and basically has nothing good to say about England. And, uh, you know, so it's just ironic that, that then Rutherford would be, you know, basically charging, uh, you know, charging him with the same title that that was one of the deal breakers with, with Spain. That's why I didn't like Spain so much. It's just ironic. It's just ironic that he would, um, yeah, I mean, history is just ironic that he would uh, have this terrible experience with Spain and want to get back at him, want to get after him, uh, but then end up adopting so many things that he uh, he he wasn't, you know, he was offended by. And it's really one of those things where the Protestants were calling his bluff. Calling your bluff. You claim you don't want this. But right. I see what you're doing. Right. Calling right, your bluff. Right. Um, I've been convicted of this. It's not like a repentance conviction, more like a personal intellectual conviction <clears throat> of us, especially as Reformed Baptist. I, I'm Reformed Baptist is that Baptist. We need to know our history. Yeah. And, and, there, there are so many Baptists, but there should be no Baptist that say, uh, Presbyterian, I have nothing to do with them. Right. Um, Puritan, yeah, yeah. I have nothing to do with them. Right. There should right. not be that. We can say, I can say, Rutherford was my forefather in the faith. Right. These are our There are some Presbyterians that don't want you to say that. And there's also some Baptists that don't want you to say yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be the minority in everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most Presbyterians are going to say exactly right. That we, surely they're not going to say Baptists or schismatics. They wouldn't. That's why we Presbyterians and Baptists can make jokes at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They truly thought we were schismatics. They would tell us to repent. Of course, you're going to have some extremes, but we Baptists should not look at these things as if that's them. Yeah. It's like when we're reading the Old Testament. We're commanded in the New Testament not to look at the Israelites and say, look at those interesting historical people. Paul says, use them as an example. Yep. They That's are, right. They are our forefathers. In the faith, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, in the faith, there's many of them that weren't in the faith. Right. But there's many of them that were. They are our forefathers in faith. Abraham, the father of many nations, is our father. Yeah. Yep. You know, the Jews, as uh, our Lord says in John 8, they can't claim that Abraham is their father. Right. The devil is their father. Abraham right. is our father. Right, right. And so, guys, when you read this, remember. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a secession of religious commitment yes. is what it is, uh, of a spiritual people in the, uh, in, in the biblical sense. Um, that's why we can be, uh, children, you know, that's how we can be children of Abraham without being in his, you know, biological lineage Yep, is because it's a spiritual people that God has in mind 
you know, from the beginning. But in this sense, when we're talking about histor, you know, when we're talking about historically, you know, through Christian history, uh, it's a lineage of, of, uh, of Christian conviction or Christian faith. That's why we can say, well, and, and historically the Baptist did come out of, uh, you know, the Baptist did come out of, uh, if I know, if I know correctly or remember correctly, or if I understand it correctly, we came out of basically Presbyterianism and Congregationalism. We were kind of like a offspring of, of both of those, you know, both of those religious traditions. And so, yeah, we have our distinctives, but we didn't come from nowhere. We didn't come like John the Baptist out of the woods and, oh, here's a new denomination. We have a lineage. We, we came from somewhere. Yeah, we did. Um, there's more to being Baptist than just going all the way in. Than just going all the way under the water. Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of us think that that's like, just what, that that's it. Yeah. Look around at the Baptist churches in Conway. Like, dude, you're not Baptist. You're Pentecostal. You just have right. complete immersion. Oh, like it's uh, uh, yeah. Some some jokes say Baptocostal. Yeah. You're not Baptist. You're you're yeah. full blown Pentecostal. Or you just so happen to think that. Or essentially non-denomination. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just a a Baptist that is a doesn't really know what a Baptist is. Right, right. Um, so it's like, okay, we have this call to know what being Baptist means. And when you find out what being Baptist means, inevitably you realize how much you have in common and how how close well, that was, that was, yeah. How close pre- Presbyterian history is related to you well that yeah that's why um that's why we've been saying the whole time rutherford's arguments here are uh precursors to uh to so much in baptist history and in the founding of the uh you know what founding the new colonies and what became the united states of america that there's uh again there's kind of a lineage here and there's a reason. I mean, if you read the introduction to the 1677 or 1689, but the Second London Baptist Confession of the Faith, uh, in the uh, introduction to the reader, they say specifically that. They say, look, this is not a document to highlight our differences. This is a document to show our com- camaraderie, our, um, our um, a likeness to... Uh, Presbyterians and Congregationalists that we have more, way more in common than we have distinct, um, you know, and so quit, quit falsely labeling us, um, uh, quit falsely uh, laboring us as uh, Anabaptist, as Anabaptist uh, because that's not us. That's a, that's a distinct movement than what, than what we're doing here. Um, Look, here's here's proof in the pudding. Here's our doctrinal commitments, and we used your confessions to, uh, uh, to as a basis, as a starting point. Yep, and that's why at which, GBTS, which is, the we, which is the Westminster Confession, uh, the larger and shorter catechisms, and the Savoy Declaration. The Savoy was written by a Congregationalist, 
Um, uh, Westminster was written by folks that would be like Rutherford. He was there, um, as you as you've noted, and uh, he wasn't a official voter on it, but he was there influencing it, preaching, presenting, uh, you know, presenting arguments and uh, and things of that nature. Uh, but that's why, you know the the early Baptists in London said, look, we're, we're with you guys. They're trying, we're trying to demonstrate that we're with you guys. Don't, don't keep falsely labeling us and treating us like the Anabaptists. Yep. And at GBTS, we in the past have had, not we, I mean, but this is not GBTS podcast. I graduated from GBTS. You, you've worked with it. We still, had, still a board member. Yeah. We've had some guys who were Presbyterians. Yeah. Still classes. do. Still that, do. We have a congregationalist that is a part of the classes still. Uh, I believe congregationalist. Presbyterian congregationalist friend who's been taking classes for a while, listening yeah. to the podcast. And, you know, we listen, it's good that we talk about this because of all the jabs we made at Presbyterians over the past, and they've understood it's from good spirits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is kind of to be the lovey-dovey to our brothers, like, Man, that was the intent. That was the intent of the 1689. Yeah. It was like, hey, we're with you guys. We yeah. want to be with you with you guys. And but and there's also so many, quit persecuting us. Yeah. There's so many Baptists, especially of the BMA brand, who hate what we're saying. Uh, yeah, now you're now you're gonna go there. Yeah. No, that's you know the well that, trail that of tears. was kind of like no, the trail, <laughs> trail of tears. Tra- wow. <laughs> tra- tra- trail of blood. blood. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's kind of like a real uh, that's kind of like the dark side or the bad form of like uh, what what people like to label fundamentalism, and uh, yeah, basically it was a yeah I don't know the full history, but very recently in America it's kind of like Baptists became this kind of like distinct. Um, it was like a uh, di- historically disconnected. Baptist revivalistic fundamental fundamentalism type thing where their commitments became like, you know, Baptist is the only true way. Always has been. And we all it all it always has been. Where our our history as a church goes back to the seashores of Galilee. Um John the Baptist. Yeah. I mean it's he just was not, Baptist. And it's, come on, dude. <laughs> It's just not. Why are you holding back, brother? Give the picture of what it looks like. (laughs) That's just not true. I mean, that's just not the historical reality. I'm Uh, a red cap drinking kind of guy. I wear my white button up. What's his name? Uh, uh, Tony Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those kind of those kind of Baptists. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's terrible. And some are not that extreme who still hold to this long line of Baptists were always Baptists. And ironically, well, we claim yeah. St. Patrick, who was a Roman Catholic. Like you're Baptist, claiming, yeah. yeah, you're claiming a Catholic yeah, yeah. as being a Baptist. Yeah. Um, Help the uneducated guy. What is BMA? Uh, you brought it up. <laughs> you brought you brought it up. There's always that kit, like when you're teaching at uh, in the second grade, you're the substitute teacher for well, second it makes, grade. It makes sense. You accidentally say know. you accidentally say an anatomical word. What is a da 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 da? Kid, you're just going to ask your parent. <laughs> it's like a youth group. Youth group. We were talking. We had a purity conference. I used to be a youth pastor, oh, and we had a purity course, conference. Of course, sex is brought. What is sex? It's like, please, just well, go I ask your parents. Ask that. <laughs> 
BMA. Um, <laughs> you brought it up. You brought it up, man. We'll talk about it afterwards. All right, fair enough. It's the uh, Cole and I both grew up. You grew up BMA, right? Let me say this. Let me back up. Let me back up. I love the BMA. There, there we go. I love the there BMA. We go. Yeah. In fact, I love it so much. My grand, let me. This is for sure. My grandfather started a BMA church. My grandmother grew up living in BMA. BMA, yeah, BMA, yeah, BMA. Yeah, yeah. My uncle. Baptist Missionary Association. My, uh, yes. My uncle who is okay, a... Ref- that's what I want to know. Is yeah. what is Baptist, Baptist, Baptist Missionary, Missionary Association. Association. That's what I my uncle is still, who is a Reformed Baptist, is still a pastor of a BMA church. Well, not for long, not after this comes out. Well, no, no, no. Well, <laughs> um, he's had some job issues with I'm not going to get into um, Hillcrest yeah, Baptist Church naturally, that I, I preached at in Yazoo City is still BMA Baptist, BMA Baptist Church and seems like it will be for a while. I preached there Sunday. I have nothing against BMA Church. Um, I'm just saying when I talk about the BMA, in past there's been a lot of stuff from the BMA that claims these things we're talking about. That right. Baptists Histori- have always been around. Yeah, hist- most of them don't believe this anymore, but historically the trail of blood... <clears throat> There's yeah, a lot of sorts of things. There's yeah. a lot of BMA churches in Conway right now that don't believe these things. So we're, we're that's not where painting get, with a broad yeah, That's brush. where you get churches that are called like Landmark Missionary yes. Baptist Church. Yeah. Well, Landmarkism is this, this uh, you know, trail of blood concept, right. trail of blood idea. I'll, I'll cover myself even more. One of my best friends is married to a girl whose dad works for the BMA. Yeah. Solid yeah. guy. Um, so please don't hear me out and bashing the BMA. I'm just no. claiming where some of this stuff is coming from. Very appreciative. Yes, love them. We both grew up BMA. BMA See, yeah. and I, I knew, now that you've explained it, I know what that is. Yeah, I just yeah, didn't yeah. know term yeah. BMA. Like, I didn't know what yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, let me be clear about those things. I can't repeat that enough. Um, we will continue to preach in churches, maybe even serve, serve some name in churches that are BMA. Um, but... Good, bro- good brothers there, yes, too, doing great yes, work. For sure, who would agree with 100% of the stuff we're talking about. So when I mentioned the BMA earlier, it wasn't me saying everybody in that. Right, right. For sure. Um, but, the, but the founding that they've now come from a fair bit yeah. uh, was, you know, something I think uh, were, you know, worthy of. Some of the founding convictions are definitely worthy of some some criticism. For sure. And the BMA guys would criticize that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. We would have them on the podcast and they would give us a greater history of that. Yeah, just for the listeners, another Baptist movement uh, companion to that is the ABA. Oh, they're about to say the IFB. Well, the, the independent fundamental Baptists were those... Of a lot of the same conviction, but didn't want any sort of denominational structure. So they were independent, fundamental Baptists. Then you have the American Baptist Association, which is uh, in its founding, which was essentially the same as the the BMA because they split off from one another. They weren't white collar or white button up enough. Um. Well, they were essentially the same. It was a personality conflict that left the two. There's some leaders who didn't get along, but mainly the same convictions. But the BMA has, uh, uh, I don't want to say progressed, um, but they've come out of kind of the, some of the bad traditions 
uh, much much further than what the ABA has, at least at least from what my knowledge and experience is. Man, how do we get from the Stuart Kings to because, Missionary Baptist? Because of the history. <laughs> um, how did we get from the Stuart Kings? I don't think to, it's too bad of a rabbit trail because yeah. we're talking about history. Yeah. And we've kind of progressed into the need for yeah, understanding. Yeah, yeah. Properly, well, we went from them to us is what happened. Properly yeah. interpreting this history as a Baptist. Yeah. Um, and, and I mentioned them named Tony Hudson as an extremist earlier. He's not in the BMA. He's in the right, IFB. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen Anderson. By, he's just his own dude. Yeah, you got Stephen Anderson, extremist. Stephen Anderson. Who is IFB. And that's not even to say that all the IFB is extreme. I'm not paying with the brown brush. But anyways, um, I, you, you flip through chapters 31 through 35. So the, what we read, the quotes we read were from 31. but And, thir, uh, and 32. Yeah. So... You read some stuff from 32. If you're to flip through 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, it has everything to do with what we discussed in our history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, so, they perfectly matched yes. up with these chapters. It was pretty cool. It was yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, man, I, I so appreciate this history. Um, I'm, I myself, going back to starting this rabbit trail, I have this intellectual conviction to get to know my history, my people, not just my people of so the blood. You're, you're telling me your your lineage is Scottish, not Irish? Scottish, for sure. Don't you pin that on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Scottish. In fact, I, I would have paid you more than an Irish guy. Yeah, I all mean, because of the red hair and red stuff. Red hair, you, you really like Conor McGregor. High blood pressure, um, yeah. things like that. But yeah. no, I mean, and I've traced my mother's side all the way back to the 1200s. English, 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 English. Then my father's side, um, a lot of my grandmother on my father's side came from places like Holland. But the Dixon goes all the Dixon way back to Scotland. goes to Scotland. You got jujitsu this morning, don't you? Yeah, I got to go. Okay, so we're finished here. Um, but get to know the history and under like, read Lex Rex, first off. Read it. And understand it's, it's definitely worth it's definitely worth reading. It's a beast. Yes, because this stuff protects us if we will hold to it, protects us from the things that Samuel Rutherford's people had to deal with in Scotland. Well, it's like good it's like all good Christian writing is that um you know, Christianity's never lived or practiced in a bubble or in a vacuum. And so, okay, in, in political turmoil or unrest, what have Christians in history past done and thought yep. and, and had to learn? Well, we can learn it the hard way and pretend like, you know, we've got to reinvent the wheel. Uh, or we as Christians can uh, know our lineage, know where we came from, especially as uh, as Americans. Let's... Let's learn the history that led to the development of this country, not just geopolitically, but uh, but if you're a Christian, religiously and and convictionally and doctrinally and uh, as you put it earlier, you know theoretically, what are the principles or theories uh, that were put into practice from a religious form? Because that's undeniable. That's something that our gov our our political climate today. Just completely takes for granted. There's that 
that these things were politically derived, not religiously derived. That the con- that the that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights is a political document, not a religious document. Just like, well, if you read them, you see that they're they're religious documents. Is what they, is what they are. Uh, we've talked about doing an episode on like American Baptist history sometime in the future. Uh, that would be cool to do. Yeah, and I'm glad there's some documents we can read related to that just to keep kind of the way that we do the podcast yeah. going. Lex Rex doing it now is going to help with that too. The future. Oh, it's a four. It, this is definitely uh we've said it before. But this is definitely a four. This book is a forefather to later, Christ, you know, Christian doctrinal and political writings. Yeah. Guess what, D2? Two more episodes on Lex Rex. We're, then we're good to go. Maybe we can double up next week. Get them knocked out. Get them in the queue. <laughs> yeah, man. If man. my voice is there. Trent, so. you got any questions or? Man, I got anything? nothing. All right. Hey, that we'll, we'll uh, upload some links of sources from some of the stuff we got yeah, from this I listened in to, our bio. I watched a few of the episodes, those timeline episodes on YouTube too. Um, I think they're kind of liberal, but they were good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's do it. CD, D2 coming at you, recorded and direct from the Classic Cast, where we just roll with it.